Yeah, but we're going to kick off our, uh, our Ask the Pastor series this morning, and the topic that I'm, that I'm taking on is divorce and remarriage, so it's going to be comfortable this morning, people. Um, just letting you know, one person already walked up to me in the hallway, or in the foyer this morning, and was like, so you're poking the bear today. And I was like, well, not intentionally. I mean, really, somebody asked this question, so point fingers out there, I guess. I don't know. It's not like this is the one, you know, that we're like, hey, let's talk about this. But, no, it's a good topic, and with, with culture today, it's an important one. Um, but uh, before we jump into this, let's, uh, let's look. I think I have a slide that shows the questions that we've been asked, uh, so you can just kind of have an idea of what things might be coming up. So we're going to go, probably one more, because that's an all-black screen. There, wow. Is that, well, okay, I guess it's kind of legible behind me. I didn't wear my glasses this morning, so this will be fun. So, first one is, how do you reconcile with the New Testament? Especially Matthew talks about divorce and remarriage and adultery and divorce and remarriage in the church. That's the one we're tackling this morning. The next one, this is a great question. How can I bring new people slash non-believers into the church and Christianity? And it's funny because as pastoral staff, we all sat down and we're like, you know what? If we had an answer to that, like a, like a solid one, we would probably have a bigger church building already. Because um, that's a hard question to answer. We're going to do our best to try and answer that, but that is a very difficult one. Especially as culture changes, but it'll, it'll be fun. Uh, what's this? What about the giants in the Bible, especially in Genesis 6? Are the men of renown? Did angels really have relations with human women? Uh, how do I talk to my Mormon friend about salvation in Jesus? It seems they already believe in Jesus. I'm confused. My friends say they don't need God and they seem to be happy. How do I talk to them about Jesus? Another great question. I'd like you to preach about the end times and what is coming next in prophecy. How do you know the rapture will be before the tribulation? Great question. And isn't tithing an Old Testament law? I know we need to give, but how do we know what we are supposed to give? All great questions. So that's kind of what's there already. If you're like, hey, I have a question about something else in the Bible, it is not too late. Like I said, fill those things out, drop it in that black box. We want to answer your questions. And if we get a few that are kind of on a similar vein, we might take like three in a week and be like, hey, these three questions are all kind of about this thing. We're going to answer these this morning. And I'm just going to tell you right now, some of the questions you ask, you may have to be okay with not a full answer. Right? We may just have to be able to look and be like, this is what we see the Bible saying, but I can't, like, not every, you know, question has a yes or no or a very hard answer to it uh, in Scripture, right? Um, I will tell you that, you know, they also say there's no such thing as a dumb question, or the only dumb question is the one not asked, right? I promise you, if you believe that's true, be a youth pastor, you won't think that's true anymore. Um <laughs> I've, I've been asked some very dumb questions. Uh, I'll tell you, I remember I wasn't even youth pastoring yet. I was, just, uh, I was just leading like a junior high Sunday school class. And we were, this wasn't even a question, really. this was just a prayer request. And this kid raises his hand, and I'm in there, you know, and people are praying for my mom and dad. You know, they're having a hard time. Or pray for my friend at school. Her parents are breaking up. Or, the, you know, these kids are coming with their questions, and there's this one kid in the back, and I, he raises his hand. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I want to pray that we find the Garden of Eden before these other people do and stuff so that God will protect it and all this stuff. And I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, this kid has clearly never read Genesis. Um, at least not well. Um, I'm like, I don't think really, like, it's not even there really anymore, kid. And if it is, then there's still the, the angel on one side and the sword that's just flashing back and forth on the other. It's protected, um, you know, but it's just one of those... Sometimes you get asked a question, and you're like, that's not, I don't, I don't know, you know. Um, but anyway, the question we're tackling today, how do you reconcile with the New Testament, especially Matthew talks about divorce and remarriage and adultery with divorce and remarriage 
in the church. So why do questions like this arise? Well, as we look at culture, and we see that culture has divorce in it, right? Now, divorce is nothing new. Obviously, it was taking place in the New Testament time period and in the Old Testament time period. There was laws about it, you know, things like that. So it's nothing new, right? Marriage is ending is nothing new. But there's still a reason we have to begin to ask, well, why? You know, the Bible does talk about it, so why? But why even more now in, in current society does the question like this seem so prevalent? Well, because the divorce rate inside and outside of the church is almost equal. Right? And we've crafted a culture and created a culture that says, if you're unhappy, then you should just leave. Right? And we place happiness in this position of everything has to be, you know, if this isn't making me happy, then I just stop doing it. If my car is no longer making me happy, I just get a new one. If my house is no longer making me happy, I just go out and get a new one. If, if my wife isn't making me happy, then I just go out and get a new one. Now, I'm not so callous to think that that is the only reason for divorce. But I would venture to guess that in our culture today, unreconcilable differences is one of the big reasons. Right? But first, let's take a look at some of the scriptures in Matthew so we can have a little bit more of an idea of what we're talking about. Matthew 19, 1 through 12 says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him there, and, healed, and he healed their sick. Some of, the, some of the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce, but I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So, some powerful wordage in there, and there's some powerful things in that. And the first, the first thing we want to look at to answer this question is, why is God against divorce? Why is God so opposed to people? Is it not? Am I not up? Oh, there we go. Sorry. I've got to be careful because it hooks into your beard, but... Um, We'll go. Anyway, so why is God against divorce? Why is God so opposed to this idea of two people just saying, you know what? No, we don't want to do this anymore. We want to go find new people and do this. Well, because first off, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Okay, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. We see in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3, which I should have on my screen coming up here. One more. I hope... You will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear some of your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So what is this, what are they relaying? We are the bride of Christ. Several times throughout scripture, we are the church. All of us are painted as the bride of Christ, Right? We also see Ephesians 5, 25, and 26, which says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, 
to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So here's a command for husbands to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church, right? Christ died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. And that's the same thing that we as husbands are supposed to do for our wives. But marriage is a picture. It is an illustration of God's love for us, right? And a breaking of a marriage and, and two things going and coming back is not how God works, right? Jesus doesn't give us a written notice of divorce and go on and find, you know what, this church isn't, you know, and he moves on. No, he, he stays with us, right? He loves us. He cares for us. He sticks with us. Why else is this? Because marriage is the second relationship that God ever sets up. Marriage is the second relationship that God ever sets up in the world. In Genesis chapter 2, after he creates man, he's there, and man is out, right? He puts man in the garden, and man's doing stuff, and God looks down at him, and he says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. And he puts Adam to sleep, and he takes out a rib, and he crafts Eve, right? And it says after this, he talks about, um, you know, man says, oh, she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and I'll call her a woman, all of this kind of stuff. And they do this. And I can make all kinds of jokes, you know, about it not good for man to be alone, and that's why he needed a woman, but I'm not going to, because here's the thing that I've realized in my life. I'm so much better off having my wife present. I'm so much better off having my wife there. She is truly a, an amazing helper, right? That the partnership that we have together doing ministry with her, doing life with her, is so much better than not having her there to do life with. That God understood that that partnership, that relationship between a husband and a wife would be so incredible and so powerful. And that's why he sets this up. And that's why it says he's against divorce because he understands what this relationship is supposed to be. Right? He understands why. The third blank is that God designed the marriage level of intimacy to exist between one man and one woman. Right? This explains, and then Genesis 2, 24 says this, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, there's a lot of different ways people interpret this scripture. A lot of people say it's, you know, it's physical, which it absolutely is, right? Sexual intimacy is something that should exist between a husband and a wife, right? And nowhere else. That is a level of intimacy that should only exist between these two people. But there's also a spiritual and relational and emotional intimacy that exists between a husband and a wife, right? There is a level of knowing each other that you don't find that relationship anywhere else in the world, in any other capacity, right? There are times I can look at my wife and know what she's thinking. There are times my wife can look at me with the look that says, I know what you're thinking and keep your mouth shut. And I've learned the wisdom of listening to that look. Right? But this is a, there's a level of intimacy that exists here. This is why God says, look, I'm not about this. I created this relationship to be one of the greatest things that you could ever experience. And to shed it off and to cast it aside lightly is not what I intended for you. It is not what I designed for you. It's not what I want for you. And I'm saying this is uncomfortable because in the world today, we see people who are just like, oh, well, we just fell out of love. Right? How many times when you hear people, why are you breaking up? Well, we just, we just fell out of love. We don't, we don't love each other anymore. Well, first of all, to fall into love makes it sound like you had no choice in the matter. That's not true. Love is always a choice. Right? 
So you didn't, you didn't accidentally happen to be in love with that person. You didn't accidentally happen to not be in love with that person. Right? It's a choice. It's, it's, and it's not even one choice. It's a, it's a hundred little choices. I heard one pastor say one time, he said that if people put as much effort into their relationship as they did cheating, he goes, they probably have the relationship with that person that they already wanted to have. He goes, it takes a lot of energy to cheat. Right? You got to be careful. Nobody got time for that. Right? And if you put that much energy and attention into the relationship you already had, you probably would have the one that you wanted. So why was divorce permitted in the Old Testament? What is the reason Jesus says? He goes, listen, it was permitted as a concession to your hard hearts. Moses didn't want to do it. It was more or less just fine. Just you're not going to listen. You're not going to, you know, you're, he just, he kind of conceded on this point. God didn't want it back then. He didn't want them doing it then. Because he understood that it was a picture of something else. Now we could note that back then it wasn't, they didn't even find and date and marry each other like we do now, right? This whole idea of dating somebody and falling in love with them and getting married, that's relatively new in culture, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But back then, people just got married to each other, right? They picked husbands and wives. You know, they went out and, you know, I mean, there was ancient cultures, right, where they would barter different things, you know. I mean, women were, and sometimes traded even as property, right? How many, you know, how many goats and cows can she fetch and all of this kind of stuff? And they would do those kinds of things. I mean, as culture progressed into, you know, like medieval times, we would see them marry daughters off to sons for, for treaties between kingdoms, Right? Well, now that my daughter is the queen of whatever, they're not going to go to war with us because she would never let her husband go to war with her family. You know, those kinds of things. I mean, these were the kind of things that they did throughout culture. And yet it's amazing that even though they weren't picking their spouse, somehow they were able to have meaningful relationships for years. Giving a little bit of credence to that idea that you could choose to love someone and you could build a relationship that way. Nothing against the dating method. I mean, that's how I met my wife, right? That's, I would imagine, how a lot of you out here met your spouses. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for us to think, oh, well, it's, I picked the wrong one. Well, no, okay, because for years, nobody, they didn't even get to pick. This is who she is. This is who he is. Well, I don't think he's attractive. Too bad. This is who he is. Right? I mean, that's the way it was. It was only permissible in the Old Testament because the people's hearts were hard. Because just like later when they would say, we want a king to be like everybody else, right? And God warned them before he gave them a king, didn't he? He said, listen, I'll give you a king, but he's going to tax you like crazy. He's going to take your sons and put them in the military. He's, there's going to be a lot of stuff because you want a king. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. We want to be just like everybody else. This is the thing. We want to be able to get divorced. We want to be able to. I, I, I'm tired of this one. I want to be able to go find somebody new. That seems like more fun. We want to go do that. Fine. You know, and he, he, Moses, out of a concession, allows them to do that. In the same way God gives them a king, right? Later when they asked for a king. No, we want a king. And they were right. Saul, he started off okay, but he ended pretty badly, right? 
And if you read through Kings and Chronicles, you see there was a few kings who did things right, but there was a lot of kings who did not do things well. And that's why I think when we look, begin to look at the church today, we begin to see divorce being as rampant in the church today as it is outside of the church, and it's things like that. It's that same idea. We want to be just like everybody else, right? Or where do we get our counsel from? Who do we listen to? Are we listening to spiritual leaders, spiritual mentors in the church? Are we listening to people like that? Or are we listening to people outside of the church who are going, oh, well, that's how they treat you. You should just leave. I wouldn't put up with that. I would just be gone. And again, I'm not saying if someone's treating you poorly that, or your relationship isn't right and you're fighting all the time, that that's what God intended for your life. It's absolutely not what God intended for your life. But what I'm saying is leaving isn't always the option, isn't always the right answer. The right answer is coming back to saying, how do we fix this? Right? How do we make this better? How do we get back to where we once were? Right? Because anybody who's married understands the honeymoon phase, right? Do you guys in the Bible? Even God understands the honeymoon phase. Because he, there's rules in there. It says, listen, when a man is first married for that first year, you don't give him a lot of responsibilities outside of his home. So that he can be, it's just so he can bring joy to his wife. It's literally like the Bible saying, listen, even God understands there's this honeymoon phase in marriage, Right? that first year and everything's fun and it's new and it's exciting and we're loving this. He said, listen, don't give the guy a lot of responsibilities outside of that. Like he should be working and providing for his family and then spending time with his wife. And we all know honeymoon phases disappear, right? My wife and I talk about that. Things, you know, it's not the same as it was when we were first married or first dating. And as exciting in a moment as that love might have or those feelings might have been, I wouldn't go back there now because the understanding and the intimacy that I have with my wife is so much better than maybe an initial excitement of a new relationship. Because no matter what new relationship you find, it'll wear off, right? It's like the excitement you have maybe when you see, when you start watching, this is a somewhat poor example, but you know, if you start watching like a new show and you're like, oh, I'm really, really excited about this, and then after a while, you know, it just starts to not be good. It's like really, really loving Star Wars. And in the beginning, it's all really, really great, and then Disney buys it and ruins it. Um, <laughs> so, those people who are laughing really hard, it's because they're true Star Wars fans, and they know. Okay? <laughs> but the honeymoon wears off. But that doesn't mean that we, we look for reasons to leave. It means we look for ways to continue to make that relationship exciting. We work harder. We continue to say, you know what? I chose you. I'm sticking it out. I'm going to make this work. So in the New Testament, what permissions are given in the New Testament? You say, Pastor Josh, that's great that we should be working on our marriage and stuff. But what, what permissions really are given in the New Testament? What, what reasons do I actually have to leave? One, the first one, is adultery. Adultery. Matthew 19, verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, that is not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So adultery, the breaking of that marriage covenant, the breaking of that intimacy, and, and giving that to somebody else, the Bible says, is grounds for you to leave, for you to go, and, to, and you are actually in this point even freed to marry somebody else, right? Right? 
this is one of those moments where the Bible says, listen, when this takes place, you're free. And why is that? Well, we see in Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says this. It says this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What does that mean? It means a cord that has three strands and it is really strong, right? In the same way, we would believe that a Christian marriage is, is actually comprised of three people, right? Not two. It's not just between a man and a woman. It's a man and a woman and God, right? That God is a part of that. So when you stand in front of everyone out there, you're not just making a covenant with each other, but you're making a covenant with God as well, right? And you're saying, we pledge to be faithful and loyal to each other, right? All of these things, to both to you and to God, I'm promising this is what I'm going to do. And I would put it to this way, I believe that probably a lot of marriages inside the church fail because most of them only have a two-person marriage. Because we stand up here and we do all of the right things and we say all of the right things and we make the commitment to each other, but we forget to bring God into it. And we have fun, cute little Christian cliches like, oh, the family that prays together stays together. Right? Or the, or the, you know, the, the marriage that prays together. But it's true. If a husband and wife spent more time praying together, if they sought the Lord together, not all, I'm not saying that's the only way you do it. You should do it on your own individually as well. But if you make time as a husband and wife to pray together, to seek God together, to spend time together, to understand that God is as much a part of your relationship as you two are, it's going to be a lot harder to break that. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to create an even greater intimacy between the two of you. An intimacy that allows you the freedom at times to confess things to each other. To talk to each other. To say, you know what? I feel like we've been going through the motions on this thing. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to spend a little bit of time and, and, and re-energize our relationship. We need to do these things. What's the other reason in there? It's the abandonment of a believer by an unbeliever. So for that, we are going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 12. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy. But now they are holy. But if a husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to, to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. Don't you realize, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And your husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you. So, the abandonment by an unbeliever is the other reason given in the New Testament for divorce, right? This is Paul's writing. He's saying, listen, if you're saved and the other person isn't, and they say, you know what? I want nothing to do with that God and that religion and everything else that you have going on. I'm going to leave. Let them go. But if they're still willing to continue on with you, if they're still willing to continue to be in that relationship, then he says, don't leave. Because 
you may actually lead them to Christ. You may actually be the one who helps bring them in. So don't go. But if they want to leave, then let them go and you're free. So what permissions are not given? The first one is we just don't get along. Jesus, Paul, never say, well, you know what? If you're fighting all the time, it would really be a good idea to probably just get divorced. It doesn't say that. I understand. That's not popular in culture, right? It's not a popular thing to say that. But that's one. Falling out of love isn't a reason given in Scripture for divorce. Being bored in your marriage isn't a reason given in Scripture for divorce. It's not. That's the world's idea. That's our culture's idea. But we live in a a culture and a society of instant gratification, right? We we love Amazon Prime shipping because I can have it in two days. Right? I joke about this all the time. If I can't get it on prime shipping, I don't even buy it. Right? Because I want it in two days or less. Because I, I bought this thing, I want to use it. We have, we have no concept anymore of wanting to, to save something or to wait for something. We're an instant gratification culture, so we have this idea of, well, this relationship isn't making me happy anymore, so I'm just, I'm just going to get out and I'm going to go find another relationship that makes me happy. I'm going to go I'm going to go find somebody else that that makes me happy. And that's not friends what God wants for us. That's not what God has for us. That's not what God has for his church. Because that's not how the bridegroom feels about the church. He loves you. And when you mess up, and when you have moments where you're like, I feel like I'm just going through the motions of this of this church thing, of this God thing, of this living for Jesus thing. I'm just I'm just going through the motions. He doesn't He doesn't cast you aside and say, you know what, I'm gonna go find somebody else. He's right here with it. He's right here. Right? He loves you. So the other question that comes out of this then is, should I stay in an abusive relationship? No. No. If the person is going to be physically abusive, emotionally abusive, would we counsel you to stay? Absolutely not. I would say get out. Separate. And as soon as that person moves on to somebody else, well, then they've committed adultery and you're good to go. You're free. We don't see this talked a lot about in Scripture. It's kind of a, it's more of just like we, you know, people kind of come to this conclusion, this idea, but we would tell you, no, don't stay in a relationship where your life or the lives of your children are, are being threatened to get out. To separate.
So what does this mean for remarriage? Well, it means that the biblical reasons for divorce free you up. They free you. You're free to then be remarried, or you would be free to marry somebody who falls into one of these criteria. The denomination that we're a part of, the Assemblies of God, are these are the two credential or the two criteria that they give, that they allow for divorce, and will allow ministers to still be credentialed, should they have this in their life, or be married to somebody who has this in their life. And how do I know this? Because I'm married to somebody who has this in their life, and I, me and Jennifer, walked the process with the Assemblies of God go through these things to, to, to bring this about. So you see, I'm not up here teaching on something that I have absolutely no picture into, no window into, no anything into. I've seen the effects of it, right? I'm not unsympathetic to divorce. Listen, I'm going to tell you, divorce is ugly, right? I've seen the aftermath of bad relationships. I walked through things with my wife. She'll tell you now, if you ask her, that she's not the same woman now that she was when we got married 11 years ago. Because she was carrying a lot of stuff that came out of that, right? So what if those two reasons, what if that's not your story? What if you're sitting here today and you're like, oh my gosh, I... I I did this thing and I got divorced or maybe I even got remarried and, and what do I do now? I just, what, what happens? What, what is out? I don't know. I, if, if, okay, listen. Grace covers all. I want you to hear that this morning. I don't want anybody to walk out feeling like, oh my gosh, there's so much shame over what I did. No. I was about to say, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You made a mistake. You made a bad decision. Guess what? You're forgiven the same way that I would be forgiven for something else. Right? I see some of you guys nodding at me. Yes, absolutely. There is grace. Grace. Grace covers God is not up there looking down at you, shaking his head, going, well, you done messed up. No. That's not what he's doing. He may be looking down going, I wish you hadn't made that decision, but I love you, and I forgive you. Let's start fresh and go on from here. Right? I feel like sometimes content like this makes people panic, and they're like, am I supposed to now leave the relationship I was in and then go back to the other one? No, 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 no. Don't do that on from where you are. God forgives you. God loves you. His grace is sufficient. He is gonna be there for you through all of this. And the thing that we need to do, for those of you who are in this room who are married, the thing that you need to do is work on keeping your marriage good. Right? Work on keeping it good. And if you're like, I'm not sure how to do that, the Bible's full of information on that, right? The Bible's got a lot of it. I'm not trying to be crude. Hear this out. God wants married couples to have sex. 
Okay, he wrote a whole book in the Bible about it. Okay, you don't know, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, whatever you want to call it, it's changed his name, that's what it's about. Okay, God created that, created that to take place between a man and a woman. And I promise you, if that's going on, not many marriages break up. weird for me to talk about because I've been a youth pastor for a long time and usually I, the only thing I teach people is not to not do that. So it's kind of nice to be able to talk to adults and be like, hey, that's what God wants you to do. Um, communicate. Like I said, be together. Have conversations. Guys, your wives need you to communicate with them. I understand. Men, we're not always very talkative, Right? And you may say, well, Pastor Josh, you're talkative. And I am talkative, but I'm going to tell you, I have a hard time sometimes opening up to my wife about what's going on, about where I'm at. And I like to talk, but it's uncomfortable. And we don't like to have uncomfortable conversations, do we? We don't like to have, like, but that's really, I have to bear, like, my true feelings on an issue? Yes. I promise if you do that, you are going to make your relationship with her so much closer and so much tighter because she, I promise you, is telling you how she feels. Right? Even if you didn't want to know. Sometimes we don't. I'll tell you, make that relationship a priority in your life. Aside from God, remember, God made marriage, the relationship between a man and a woman. It's the second relationship he ever created, right? He created man, and he made the relationship between us and him to be the number one priority in our life. God should come first. Your wife or your husband should come second. I'm going to speak to the moms for a minute because men don't have as much of a trouble with this. Your husband should come before your children in terms of priority of the relationship, not necessarily in terms of priority of care, okay? Kids can't care for themselves the way that your husband should be able to. Okay? But the priority of the relationship should be your husband, should be your wife, and your children should be able to see that because you are going to give them an example of what a godly marriage looks like. Parents, let your kids see you two pray together. Let them see it. Listen, if they don't see it, how are they ever going to know to do it? I'm going to tell you guys, honestly, my parents, I have incredible parents. They love God. They have a godly marriage. I, don't, I cannot tell you a time I ever saw my parents fight one time. And while I love them, the only thing that that set up in my life was I had no idea what conflict and resolution looked like in a relationship. Because I never saw it. I thought if people fought, they broke up. Because I never saw my parents fight. So the first argument Jennifer and I ever had was when we were engaged. And I thought that was it. And the relationship was over. And if you know my wife and how blunt she can be, she's like, well, not if you're in an adult relationship. It's <laughs> like, well... Okay, that's good. I'm glad it's not over, but you see what I'm saying? It's okay for there to be conflict, too, in a relationship. It's okay. What's the Bible say? It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it's good advice to not go to bed angry, right? Talk it out. My children have seen my wife and I disagree on things. And we're both passionate people, so it can be passionate sometimes. But we also have 
the sense to know that some conversations and some disagreements we need to take away from where the kids can see it. And so we'll go for a drive. And we'll have a long conversation about something we may disagree on. There's something about disagreeing when you know the other person isn't going to leave that makes it work, that makes it easier to disagree, right? We can both argue very strongly different points because we know that at the end of the day, that person is still there. And we know that at the end of the day, that disagreement we're having is because we both want what is best for our family and we simply disagree on what that is. Disagreements are okay. Don't let it be the only thing that happens either. Have fun together. Husbands and wives, have fun. Take a, take a vacation. Take a, take a trip. Get away for the weekend. Get away for the day. Find reasons to remember why you chose to love that person in the first place. And remind each other of that. Again, there's an infinite amount of resources. Books like the five love languages are so incredible. And I promise you, if you're sitting out there right now, you're like, oh, I know what my love languages are. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Every guy, every man in the world thinks physical touch is their, is their love language. Right? Not always. Just because you like physical intimacy doesn't mean that physical touch is your love language. I'll never forget realizing when, when I realized words of affirmation was more one of mine. We were, I was driving somewhere with Jennifer, and she looked over at me, and she goes, I'm, very, I'm so proud to be your wife. I don't think I've ever been given a bigger compliment in my life. I don't think anything has ever lifted my spirits more than in that moment. I can still remember it to this day. Why? Because that's apparently one of my love languages, right? Words of affirmation. And she affirmed me that by the way that she said she felt about getting to be my wife meant more to me than just about anything else, meant more to me than any gift she could ever give me. But understanding your spouse, understanding how to have those conversations and do those kinds of things is so important. And I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter how bad your relationship has gotten. If you bring God back into it and you begin to work back at it, it doesn't mean it can't be saved. I don't believe in that. Why? Because God is about reconciliation. We serve a God of reconciliation. We serve a God who, who, who wants to reconcile relationships. That's his goal for us. His goal is reconciliation. can be difficult at times it can be hard listen if you've neglected your marriage for a long time and it's in a rough spot it's not necessarily going to get fixed like that but that doesn't mean it can't be fixed maybe you feel like you know what we're at a spot where things are just really bad and we don't know what to do talk to someone pastoral staff at this church will be more than willing to sit down with you to listen, to talk with you. Because we believe in a God of reconciliation. We believe in a God who seeks to reconcile relationships. We believe in a God who believes in marriage. We believe in a God who created that relationship to be one of the best and most supportive things in your life. It is a partnership. there are times when I'm leaning on my wife because I can't do it alone. 
and vice versa. So if our keyboardist wants to come back up, we're going to get ready to close and get ready to... And I know this is kind of a heavy topic. It's not one that's a lot of fun to talk about. But whoever asked the question, I will say thank you. This is an excellent question. Because like I said, culture today has a completely different view of this. And we know the church is counterculture. The church has always been counterculture and will continue to always be counterculture. have relationships that are strong if we have relationships that are flourishing the world is going to see that they're going to ask questions like how do you guys how do you guys continue to make that work right being gone on our anniversary weekend and tell people it's our anniversary oh how long have you been married 11 years wow that's really good I'm not saying it's not good what I'm saying is that seems foreign, a foreign concept to me 11 years isn't that long you know I think of my parents who are going on 36 years this year those of you out there who I know some of you your, your spouses have passed away but you were married for years and years and years you made it work example to a world who needs help. Who needs to know what, what solid relationships look like. We can be an example to them. 